Uh, it's hard to believe that it's almost the end of January. Uh, I was thinking that I just figured out how to write 2020. Uh, just, you know, that three weeks or so where you keep putting 19. And uh, then all of a sudden you look up and January is almost over. And uh, I was thinking about how beginning of the year, a lot of times uh, we have New Year's resolutions and things we want to do and things that we're thinking about. Uh, I was reading this week that at any given time in America, a hundred million people are on a diet. A hundred million. Uh, as I was reading about this and then it said a uh, $20 billion industry like health and wellness in our country. And a lot of that, as I was reading, has to do with kind of gimmicks and things that we try to do and almost like end arounds of like, I'm going to get healthy by doing some other things. And I was, I was thinking of different things that I've seen. Uh, I worked in an office in Dallas, Texas. This is a long time ago before Joanna and I were married. So probably 20 years ago. And I remember there were several people in my office that were drinking this drink at night because of this ad on the radio. And it said, if you just drank like an ounce of this thing before you go to bed with, on an empty stomach, you'll miraculously lose all this weight. No, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, yeah it didn't work. <laughs> all the people in my office that were drinking that were not losing <laughs> lots of weight by drinking this magic potion. But it's that kind of stuff a lot of times that we kind of jump into. Or uh, I remember seeing uh, like the TV, late night TV ad for a thing that you place on your abs and it shocks you. I'm serious. This is a real thing. You sit on your couch and it shocks you. And just by laying on your couch being shocked, you're suddenly going to have six pack abs and being great. Right. It's ridiculous. But there's a whole industry of all these things, because oftentimes we want a shortcut. I could just get around it with this. Right. I'll just drink this thing and shock my abs and then I'll be in great shape. But the truth is, and I'll give you a secret. There's real easy as far as like being healthy. And, and everybody knows this. It's diet and it's exercise. The end. That's it, right? Like, that's the way it works. And oftentimes we try all these other things and these end arounds and I'll do this and I'll try this and I'll do It's really not that complicated. And I was thinking about it in this regard. What's the spiritual equivalence of that? What are the things that God just clearly says to us? Like, if, if you're following me, and dependence on me and what this looks like and the things he calls us to, but the things that yet we often don't do or we try to work our way around it. And, and what comes to my mind immediately, and we're, we're going to start a series this week on prayer. Uh, we just finished a short series at the beginning of the year, three weeks on talking about discipleship. Our mission as a church is to make disciples who make disciples, growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life and the importance of we needing one another to do that and the way God calls us to do that. And it dawns on me as I think about that, the things that we want to see and we want to do and we hold to as a church, we cannot do any of it if we are not praying. It's that simple. It's kind of like the, the diet and exercise. If we think as a church... Or we think as believers that we're going to realize the things that we want to go after and following God and see him move and all that. And we can do it apart from being connected to him in prayer. It does not work. And so I want us just to spend the next several weeks thinking about prayer, uh, the importance of it and why that's the case. Uh, I want to even kind of pose that question to you this morning. Why is it the case that we can't do any of these things without prayer. And the reason I say that, and the reason that I pose it that way, is I meet people regularly. And we're talking about discipleship and the way we're growing and what it looks like. And just about every single person I talk to is unhappy with their prayer life. 
It is very rare that somebody is like, I am killing it in prayer. I've figured this out and I've got it and it's great and it's wonderful all the time. Most of the time people are like, man, it's hard and it's a struggle. And so I want to start there of just big idea of prayer and what God calls us to and why it's so important and thinking about it. Because what I see a lot of times is people are struggling with it is, is there's something in us that we're not fully convinced that it's that important. And I want us to think about maybe why that's the case, why we struggle so hard with it. But yet it's something in Scripture that just says over and over. Jesus talks about it like when you pray and as you pray and what it looks like. It's, it's not an optional thing. He's always calling us back to this. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about prayer. Today we're just going to talk about kind of big idea, some Some big, broad things that I think it teaches us in Psalm 86. It's a prayer of David, and it tells us a lot about prayer. Big picture. But then the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus and the way he prayed and the way he taught us to pray as we look to him. And then the last few weeks of this sermon series, it's going to be a little different than what we normally do. We're going to have several sermons the last few weeks where we're going to kind of focus on the different ways in which God calls us to pray and the things he calls us to pray for. And maybe this will be a good thing. The sermons are going to be much shorter, and then we're going to spend more time praying together. And so we're going to work towards, this is what it looks like. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. So let's pray. Because what the Bible says is we can't do any of these things that we're hoping to see and we want to do and we want to see happen in our church apart from praying. And so let's think big picture today, big idea, just real simple. What is prayer and what are we after in it? And then secondly, I want us just to consider what keeps us from it or what's the struggle that keeps us from getting there. Why do we have such a hard time with prayer? And I think Psalm 86 will help us to kind of answer those questions. And so let's just start with the big picture of what is it and what are we after? And so if you look at Psalm 86, it's a prayer of David. We don't know the exact context Uh, If you read through David's life, there were many times in his life where he was struggling and people were after him. There was lots of times as as the king of Israel that people wanted to kill him and were coming after him. And and that seems to be some of what's going on here. We don't know the exact of that. But David is praying to God and he cries out to God and pick up with me in verse five. And he says this. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And the first thing I want us to think about when we think about prayer is we just even define what it is. What it is we're talking about. And real simply, when we say prayer, it's a personal communication with God. That we're talking to the God of the universe that created all things and that we can come to him and we can talk to him. And that he calls us to come to him and to talk to him and to have a relationship with him. And you see right there in verse seven that David says, in the day of trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. He says, you're abounding in verse five in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And the clear implication is is that God calls us to talk to him, to come to him. And it says he's abounding in steadfast love to all those that call upon him. 
And he says, you answer me in my need. And all the way through the Bible, we see this, that God is available to us, that he invites us to talk to him. He invites us to have a personal communication with him, that he's not far off, that he wants us to be coming to him. And we see this not just here in the Psalms, but if you go back and you look through all of Scripture, you see this over and over. We were created to be in a relationship with our creator. He made us this way from the very beginning, that we would know him, that we'd be in a relationship with him, that we'd be talking to him. And he's made us this way. You can go back uh, from the very beginning. Uh, think of uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 as he creates Adam and Eve and he sets them in the garden. And it says God came and walked with them in the cool of the day. And they had this face-to-face, this relationship with God. As they talked to him and they had this. Or you can go to Jesus in the Gospels. In the way he summarizes the commandments. He says to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying that we would have a relationship with God first and foremost. And then out of that we would love people. That he has created us that way. All of God's commandments can be summarized in that. That we're to have this relationship with God and all things. Uh, if you go and you look at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, it dates back to the 1600s. It comes out of the Reformed tradition of which our church stands. And they just summarize the doctrines of the church and what they believed and what we believe as Christians. And in that, there's a, the catechism, question and answers to help you learn these big ideas. And the very first question in the Westminster Confession of Faith is, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To have this relationship with him. To reflect back what he's like. And God invites us into this to have this relationship with him. If, if you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, I, I like looking at the catechism. It has these question and answers of these great big ideas and they boil it down to a simple statement. But then they footnote every single one of them. And it's just verse after verse after verse. Actually, verse 9 here from Psalm 86 is one of the footnotes for that glorify God and enjoy him forever. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And so we are made to be in this relationship with God and God has made himself available to us. And verse 7 says he can be known and he answers us in our need. And then he's there wanting us to have this relationship with him and so i want you just to consider that i don't think that's a new idea yeah okay i'm aware of that if you've been in church ever or you've read the bible or you've heard this you go yeah i'm at least aware but i think we struggle with that at different times maybe for different reasons in different ways but the god who created all things who spoke all things into existence by the word of his power says that he upholds all of creation by his word. We exist because God says so. None of us would be here. Our world, the earth, the cosmos, none of it except God created it. And we hear that and then we go, he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to hear from you. And it's hard for us to get our head around that. We think about the vastness of creation. Think about how many people there are. 
It's easy for us to kind of slip into being a deist of sorts. Yeah, I believe in God and I believe he's there, but he's not really involved in all this. How could he be? There's so many people. And the universe is so vast. And how could that be? And so we struggle at different times with this idea that God really wants us to be in a relationship with him. But verse seven, David says, I call upon you and you answer me. Your steadfast love abounds to those who call on your name. Or think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, when he says every hair on your head is numbered. That God understands and he is so involved that he knows every hair on your head. And you go, whoa. And that pushes the limits of our understanding. We can struggle with that. I think we can go from one side to the other. We go, well, yeah, God is powerful and he's in control and he's all those things. But then we can kind of slip into, uh, well, I'm not praying and I'm sort of apathetic towards those things because God's really too busy for me. And so sometimes that feeds into our struggle. But he says here over and over that God listens and he responds and he knows you. And so I want you just to think about that for just a minute. I was thinking about a movie I watched years ago that kind of helped me get my head around even prayer. And it's funny to me sometimes how God shows you things and it the movie I was watching that really had nothing to do with the Bible or God or any of it. It was a movie about a guy who has a relationship with an artificial intelligence. And in this film, it's like he, he uh, buys this thing you can buy online or whatever, and they ship it to you. And it's basically like a phone, but now he's talking to a computer. But it sounds like a woman, and they begin to have a relationship, and the computer can learn, and they're starting. So he carries this thing around, and he talks to it all the time. And he starts to develop a relationship with this person that's not a person, it's a computer. But he begins to feel like it's a person. And he starts to grow in this relationship with this woman and this voice and, and all these things that are happening. But anyway, there's a scene in the movie. Later in the movie, he's walking down a busy street and he's got his headphone in. He's talking to her as he goes. And all of a sudden it dawns on him that she's talking to other people at the same time. It's an artificial intelligence, right? And he says, you're talking to other people, too, right now, aren't you? She says, well, yeah, I am. And he's like, well, how many? And he starts to ask her, is it five? Is it ten? Is it... Anyway, it ends up in the movie saying it's 10,000 other people at the exact same time. And he's crushed because he thought he had this intimate relationship with this person, this thing. And now it's talking. But what it did for me as I, as I watched the movie is that in my mind, I went, I can understand how a computer could be talking to 10,000 different people at the exact same time, right? Computers are powerful. I can turn on my computer. It can be running a whole bunch of different things at the same time. All these processes are going. It can do all of them so quickly, immediately. Yeah, that makes sense. And then it dawned on me, the God of the universe who created all things by the power of his word and holds them together, how much more powerful is he than that? And when he says, I know the hairs on your head, And when you call upon me, I answer. I know who you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Made in my image. Made into be a relationship with me. And all of a sudden it was like God showed me, even in that silly movie, I am way greater than that. 
I can carry on a perfect conversation knowing everything about every single person in this room and he can do it flawlessly because he is the creator and sustainer of all things. And so we start to think about what is prayer. It is a personal communication with the God of the universe who knows everything about you, who wants to know and love you and grow deeper in a relationship with you and he invites you into it and he hears and he's available and he's there. And so as we start to get our head around this idea of a personal communication with God that we were created for. And as we begin to step into that relationship and we begin to cry out to him, and we begin to talk to him and seek him. We hear from him in his word and the way he's revealed himself to us. Look at verse eight. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come to worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things and you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And so it's a personal communication with the living God of the universe. But as you begin to grow in that communication with him, you begin to see him for who he is. And to know him is to love him. And so when David begins to cry out and he says, you hear me and you are there. And then all of a sudden he goes into this whole list here. You are gracious and you are abounding in love. And you are there and you listen. And so he starts to just unfold this. And when we start to think about what it means to pray, to have a personal communication with God, as we do, we grow in our relationship with him and we see him for the glory of who he is. And to know him is to love him. And those go hand in hand. When we begin to call upon the Lord and we begin to step into this relationship, we begin to see him. We see his great love and his mercy and who he is. And so often I think of the, the, the sadness of when we don't pray and we don't seek the Lord. And then we struggle because we're not seeing him for who he is. But he invites us into this and he says, call upon me. Come to me. And as you spend time with him, the way it, it expands your understanding of who he is. It, it makes me think when Jesus comes in uh, John chapter one and he calls his very first disciples and they're coming up and they're asking him questions and they're kind of excited. And who are you? And Jesus says, come and see. And he invites them. They go, where are you staying? And he goes, just come with me. And this amazing thing that happens, that these men give their lives and women give their lives to follow Jesus. And they start to come and see. And as he walks and as he goes, they become more and more convinced that he's the God of the universe. That doesn't happen, right? The more time you spend with someone, the more you see their flaws and their mistakes and their struggles. And we get in relationship and sometimes that's why that's hard. But with Jesus, as they come to follow him, they are more and more convinced. They see his 
perfect way in which he loves all people. Jesus is the very radiance of the glory of God. When we see Jesus, we see exactly what God is like. And as they walk with him, they fall more and more in love with him in every way. But so often, we don't seek him in that way. And when we don't, it's not like there's just this vacuum that's there. What often happens is other things flood in and take up that time. And we give ourselves to other pursuits and other things that kind of flood in. And then it makes life harder. It was Augustine that said that all of our struggles uh, we could trace back to misordered loves in our life. Right? God, God says you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And when we flip those, we misorder the loves. I am so busy that I don't have time to pray. And I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I got this thing going, and this thing. I just don't have time for that. I've misordered my loves. And it causes all sorts of issues and problems. And the sad part is it's a, it's a scary uh, catch-22. To know God is to love Him. And to grow in your relationship with Him grows in that great love that you have for Him as you see Him more. But when you neglect that, you don't see it. And then you struggle. And you go, I don't have time. And we do that so often. We neglect this personal communication as God is calling us into that relationship with him. And so think of what Jesus says when he says things like, to be my disciple. It means to uh, hate your father, brother, mother, sister. He goes through the whole list. If you're going to come after me, this is what, what he's saying is that every other relationship in your life should look like hate in your comparison of your love for me. You love the Lord God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. And as you love God more fully and you see him for who he is, you will love others more fully. And so what Jesus is inviting us into and what he's telling us is for our own good. It's what we need to hear more than anything else. You love me above all else, God says. And we go, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. I've got all these other things going on. And he's going, no, 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 you're turning it upside down and this is always going to be an issue. And so that's so often what happens even in our prayer life. That there's available to us a personal communication, a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And we're like, I'm too busy. And so we struggle in so many ways. And so what we're after and what he tells us is pure personal communication with God. And as we do and we grow in our relationship with him, we love him more. And as we begin to see him and love him more and understand more of what he's like, the last part of this is it begins to overflow and wanting God to be known. As we know him and love him and we know what he's done for us and who he is, then we want other people to know. Look at the end of this psalm, verse 14. He says, Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see 
and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. As we go to the very heart of who God is and we begin to enter into relationship with him and this personal communication, we're talking to him, we grow in our love for him, but then we want him to be seen. We want people to know. Now, the, the occasion of this psalm, David's obviously in difficulty. He says there are men that are after, ruthless men seek my life in verse 14. And he's crying out to God. And he's coming before God in a difficult time. And he's saying that you would show yourself in this. And he's really crying out for vindication. They're ruthless and they're coming after me and they're seeking to kill me. God, show yourself. And David's impulse here to cry out to God for justice, to cry out for safety and in need is a good one. He knows what God is like. He knows he's a God of justice. He's calling for it. And it's a good impulse here, and we are to pray in that way. But if we're honest, sometimes when we read the Psalms, they can be a little bit uncomfortable. Right? He says, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. God, would you show yourself now so it puts all these other people to shame? Now, part of that is good in the sense of they are seeking his life and they are after him. And it's uh, an injustice. And so wanting God to be shown in that is good. But then he says that thing about put them to shame. And a lot of times the Psalms are that way. Oh, God, would you dash my enemies? You're like, Ugh. right, because last week we were talking about that we're to be t- kind and tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. But here he's going God, would you show those that hate me that they would be put to shame? And we go, well, what do we make of that? And I just remind you that as we're reading the Psalms, this is real people in real situations crying out to God from the depth of their need. And David's surrounded by people that want to kill him. And he's crying out to God, and this is the language he uses. But I'd also remind you that as David cries out to God, He is crying out to God at that period of time in his life and that point in redemptive history, say the front side of the cross. Yes, he knows God is gracious and uh, steadfast in his love and faithfulness and abounding, but he's not seen the fullness of how God is going to bring all of that together in history. (laughs) And so when he does that, when he's calling us into this, and then when David says, right, that God would do this in this way, he's speaking from his limited perspective. doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. It means David is praying to God in this way at this time. But what we see on the fullness, on the backside of the cross, and the fullness of what Jesus has done is that God has given us what we don't deserve. That he has lavished his grace upon us. That he has forgiven us when we are unforgivable. And so we too are called to pray in that way. But the heart of all of this that I want you to see that David's moving to is he's saying, God, I want you to be seen in all of this. Would you show yourself? I know who you are and I know what you're like. Would you make yourself known? 
And when we grow in this relationship with God, this personal communication, and we're growing in our understanding of who he is, the natural overflow is then we're praying that God would show others what he's like. And as we've talked about discipleship, and we help one another to grow in our relationship with God, but then we go and we seek to go out and invite people in that they would come to know Jesus. And that's exactly what happens when we begin to pray. We begin to know God and we begin to grow in our love for him. And then we want to see others have that same love. And so here's the question I would ask. Are you praying? And then when you're praying or if you're praying, are you praying to know him more fully? Do you pray, God, show me your glory I want to know you more fully. I want to know what you're like. I want to see you changing me in my life to be more in your image. And as you pray and as you spend time with God, does it then uh, spark in you a desire to pray that God's glory would be shown? That those around you would come to know him. God, show yourself. Would you do a work in my neighbor's heart? Would you do a work in this friend over here that doesn't know you? Because what happens is when you know God and you're spending time with him, you can't help but want other people to know him. And that's exactly what he's saying here. And you see it all the way through. And so here's the question. If we're struggling with that, how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we're crying out to God and we're seeking him and he's doing this work in us and we're praying for his glory and to know him more fully? I think the answer is right here at the beginning of the psalm. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For to you do I cry all the day, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So often when we think of prayer, we think this is the thing that like super Christians do and they're really good at. Right, so and so is a great prayer, and they've got it, and they've been doing it a long time. And we kind of elevate people like, oh, they pray a lot. They must be super spiritual, or they must have everything really together. So, but the reality is that in order to come, uh, kind of get over the hump as we begin to pray and to seek God, is we have to have an understanding of who God is and who we are, and our desperate need for Him, moment by moment, in all things. Prayer is not the language of the person who's ascended to be this great spiritual person that's got it all together. Prayer is the person who recognized, I cannot do this on my own. Doesn't work. I can't do the things that I want to see happen. I don't have the power to do them. It is God and Him alone 
And we have to have an accurate assessment of who he is and who we are. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. First thing David says here is he cries out, I am poor and needy. And it's almost convicting when I read this psalm. The, the occasion seems to be that things are falling apart and he's struggling. I cry out to you in my need. There's men surrounding me. They want to kill me. This is what's happening. I need you to show yourself. And he's crying out to God in that. And I say it's convicting because oftentimes that's the way my prayer life works. When things start to fall apart, then it's like, oh, no, I need you, God. Can you fix this? But when things are going pretty well, I buy into the lie that I've got it and I can do it on my own. Oh, everything's pretty good. I'm all right. Thank you, God. Things are good. And we miss the reality that we desperately need him in every single moment and everything that we are poor and needy. That the things that we want to see happen in our life and around us, we can't do any of those things in our own power, but we desperately need God to show up and do what we can't do for us. And so when we start to think about how do we get there, I think the answer lies in understanding that we are in desperate need. We desperately need God in all things. God has a way of teaching us in the seasons of our life. Just even recently, I've been, I've been reading A Praying Life yet again. <laughs> I think I say this every year. Praying Life by Paul Miller. I think I'm on four time, fourth time through it. <laughs> And I was reading a chapter just the other day, and he says, uh, he was reflecting, he, the guy who writes the book has five children, he's reflecting on, uh, his oldest is 16 at this moment, and he said, I just realized that, like, my days go much better with my children when I start the day praying for them. And he said, recognizing the things that I want to see in my kids that I cannot do, that I need to rely on God. And I went, oh. Starting my day praying for my children. I can't change their hearts. The things that I want to see, I cannot do. And recognizing that I desperately need God. I need Him in the way I respond. Not just to my children, but to every person in my life. I need Him in the the way I love people and the way I try to serve people, all these things that I will just fail miserably if I'm trying to do in my own strength. And when that happens, then suddenly I'm praying a lot more. And the good news is I know exactly what David means when he says, you are steadfast, abounding in love and mercy. God meets you in the midst of that. And the good news is that is what God is like. That He has come to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's the heart of the gospel. So whenever we talk about prayer, if my conversations with everybody that I know are somewhat accurate, we all sit here and go, man, I kind of stink at this. I wish I was better at this. 
And you can hear a sermon on prayer and you can leave here and be like, oh, I'm a mess. But the good news is that's where God meets us. And that's why Jesus has come. He's come to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so prayer is not a statement of I've figured it all out and I've got it together, but is a statement of I desperately need you, God. And he says, I know, and that's why I've come. I was thinking about it just as how to end here and how to think about this. And right as I'm about to stand up, we're singing, Lord, I need you. You're my one defense. You're my righteousness. And the heart of prayer, when we think about it, has to be there. God, I desperately need you moment by moment. Jesus, you are my one defense. You are my righteousness. You are the only one that can do in me what I cannot do for myself. I desperately need you. And that's the only way prayer works. And so as we end today and as we think about how to pray and how Jesus teaches us to pray the next few weeks, would that be your prayer this week? God, would you show me how needy I am? Would you remind me each morning as I get up that I desperately need you moment by moment? It's the first step as we think about how to pray. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us, that you meet us in the midst of our need, that you have come to us to do what we cannot do for ourselves. I pray that you would remind us. I pray that you would guard our hearts against the lie that believes that we can do it ourselves, that we're okay on our own. Uh, I thank you that oftentimes through difficult seasons and times you do just that. But I pray for each one here that you would show us clearly and fully that we desperately need you moment by moment. We thank you that you are there to hear us, that you hear our cries, that you answer us in our time of need, that you are full of grace and abounding in mercy. We thank you. I pray that each one of us as we go this week would seek you fully each day, continually in all things, turning it back to our great need for you. We thank you and we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.